Shop owners, do you wanna help your techs level up their repair and diagnostic skills? What about helping them connect with their peers so they can also grow professionally in their craft? If this is true, then the Tech Fix in-person training event is a no-brainer. On October 5th and 6th, 2023 in Nashville, Tennessee, your techs will experience in-depth training on diagnostic techniques, advanced testing skills, career and goal setting advice, help overcoming difficult situations in the shop, and other powerful skills that most training events just won't cover. It's a two-day investment for a huge payoff for you and your team. Listeners to my show receive $100 off tickets with the code CLUES, C-L-U-E-S. Seats are limited, so if you're in, register today at techfixevent.com. Again, seats are going quick, so you've got to register today at techfixevent.com and use code CLUES for $100 off. This one's for the techs. I mean, without you, our world would look very different. Parents wouldn't be able to make it to their kids' games, food wouldn't make it to the stores, and basically, the world as we know it really wouldn't exist. Yet, despite this, historically, your role hasn't been properly respected or appreciated. But the good news is that there is a massive movement to change this. From organizations that want to find and train the next generation, change public opinion, and help techs build a lucrative future. My guests today are Lowell Green of TechFix and Phil Quillen, company foreman of Eurofix, Autofix, and Mike's Auto in Tennessee. On this episode, we're giving an insider's perspective, covering topics few are willing to discuss. The good, the bad, and the downright ugly. We hope it inspires you and encourages you. Technicians, thank you for all you do. Effective online presence is a critical part of your shop's growth and profitability, which is why it only makes sense to use the company that many top performing repair shops use for managing their online presence, Leads Near Me. Leads Near Me effortlessly increases your car count with a strategic combination of killer websites, high converting Google ads, traffic driving social media posts, and more. Reach them by text or call at 888-953- 2379 or visit them online at leadsnearme.com. Leads Near Me, effortlessly increase car count. Guys, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Good to be back. Absolutely. Uh, so Lowell, Phil, you guys have been on the show. Lowell, you've been on twice. Phil, once. Uh, all y'all's episodes were amazing. If you have not heard their episodes, Definitely after this episode, don't don't stop this one. Keep listening. But after this one, I would definitely encourage you to jump over to, uh, to their episodes. Uh, both these guys on their own are super wise, um, just pillars in the automotive community. And so I'm really excited to have both you guys here in the studio with me. Uh, I think it's going to be a really fun, but a really powerful episode and one that is a different angle than what we've taken in the past. So um, thank you guys for spending some time with me today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank Thanks you. for having us. Yeah. Uh, real briefly, in case this is the first time someone's heard the show, never heard of you guys, who are you guys? Lowell, why don't you go first? 
Yeah, uh, so my name's Lolam. I am a lifelong veteran technician, uh, former shop owner. Uh, I am also a coach here at ShopFix, and I also head up uh, TechFix training. Which is its own uh, its own technician trainings. We call it. We kind of loosely call it uh, technician training by technicians for technicians. Yes. Yes. Awesome. Yeah, and that's going amazingly. You started that in July, correct? July twenty three. We started it. Uh, yeah, we were in beta for two months. Uh, we st- July first was our first. It was our first day, and since yeah. then, we we now have close to 900 technicians enrolled in the program. That's amazing, man. Yeah, it's been great. It's been uh, a whirlwind. Yeah, I, I see you in, in the studio doing a lot of filming. You guys are cranking out content like crazy. Yeah, I do that in my sleep, too. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know when I you dream sleep. About it. I, you're here, like, all the time. <laughs> yeah, it's been, it's been a blast. It's been, uh, you know, it's a dream come true, for sure. And, you know, we're seeing, um, you know, obviously, there's a need. We have this many technicians enrolled already, so we're... We're going to keep going and, you know, keep finding more technicians to train and, and more trainers and, and just keep at it. That's great. Phil, who are you? I am uh, the company foreman for Eurofix and Autofix. I've been with the company for a little over 12 years now. So guys, like we talked about, this episode's going to be really different. Usually our episodes are, are primarily geared for the owner. We've had a lot of advisor uh, conversations. We've had a lot of tech conversations, but it's always from the point of the high-level you know, leadership view. This episode is for the technicians. We were talking before you know, we started recording, and we really want to address some things that are elephants in the room and also some things that really aren't being said in you know the big conversation of of what it is to be a technician and and you know the current situation we find ourselves in in 2023 uh, and so the goal is is to really uncover a lot of things that can really help the technicians listening be able to level up their careers and we're not just talking about training we're not talking about you know career advancement and strategy. It's all of it because there's a lot of angles that just aren't being talked about and that's not fair. And so we want to open that up today. Uh, So first thing diving in, uh, Lowell, we had an interesting conversation about what COVID did to exasperate the current situation. So let's, let's just kind of set the stage for for people listening, like why are we in the situation we're in in 2023, where you know owners are are desperate for techs, techs aren't you know uh, they're either leaving the field or they're you know struggling in their current shop or, or just there's all these issues. Why are we in this spot? Yeah, I mean this is a really complicated question with a, a lot of um, a lot of possible answers. And I, I don't think that there's just one. Um, now I'm not a statistician, or nor you know, am I a social scientist. But you know what I saw was this: during COVID, we had a rapid growth in most of our repair shops. It was one of the industries that did really well. We were essential workers, and a lot of technicians who were getting older, or technicians in general, were kind of exiting the industry at that moment in time. So the technicians uh, who were left, um, it was a money grab. And if you were paying attention to the one ads back then, every single shop, including many of the shops that I worked with and coached, were offering sign-on bonuses to because to, they had so much work, they couldn't do it all. 
backed up two, three, four weeks, more than a month sometime. It was a money grab for the technicians. And the, what I mean by that is we as technicians knew that owners needed techs to do all this work. So we would see a sign-on bonus. Technicians would go talk to the to the owner and say, well, if he's willing to give me $5,000 to drop my box here, I make 30 now, maybe I can ask for 40. So a lot of, look, you know, I, I'm not saying that technicians, you know, having been one in my whole life, shouldn't get paid well. Technicians should get paid well. 100% it's a hard job. You got a lot invested. You got tools invested, education invested. You have a lot of liability on your hands every single day. It's a rewarding job. That's why we do it. There's a certain personality that likes to wake up every day, use their hands, go home and, and realize they have accomplished things today. They've fixed some cars and they've helped some people. That is worth a lot of money to me. Now, I think what happened during this time is technicians, well, no, I think I saw it happen firsthand, technicians walking in and giving themselves a pay raise. And now it's kind of inflated. So what do we do about that? Talk, talk us through what that means for it to be inflated. What does that mean? I think uh, another, we talked about this before, another word we used was like an escalation where things just... The, the pay has just gotten out of control. And I've also seen certain technicians that kind of bounce from place to place. And one of the, one of the factors people use, whether they're, um, you know, asking for a certain amount of pay or looking at a technician and seeing what they're worth is what they were paid at their last job. And so people just kind of ratchet up from place to place and they go here, even though they didn't succeed at the last job, you know, they, they get two more dollars per hour every time they change jobs and they just jump from here, jump to there, back and forth. And they're just kind of riding that wave of what you're talking about that where they hold the bargaining power because there's a shortage of labor. And so every time they move, they just ratchet their pay up more and more, but their skill set's not increasing, obviously. Correct. And then it just, it sort of pollutes the entire pool of... Um. Yeah, of of pay, not pollutes, but it just escalates it, and it's out of control. And then people are their pay has far exceeded their their value. And what we're seeing on the back end of that is um, technicians going into a shop. Let's say that they are billing themselves as a higher level technician than they are. Let's say they're they're coming in saying they're an A tech when they're a solid B. Okay. Um. They're there's a, a on the back end we're we're seeing that the quality of work and comebacks or quality of work at that shop is starting to come down. Comebacks are starting to increase. Reputation is going down, so it's hurting the industry in that way. It's hurting shops in that way. Now, do you have to be an A tech to have a good career as a technician in in our industry? No, I know plenty of GSs and B techs who who they're not interested in solving complicated problems, but they are interested in doing quality work. What I'm actually saying is, is that if you're, this is my philosophy, and you know I'm a technician advocate. You know, I, I, I get on this soapbox all the time. I'm here to, to educate and, and teach technicians and talk with technicians. But if you get paid like an A-tech, you better know like an A-tech, and you better be able to work like an A-tech and not have comebacks. Like, you know, a, a, a five-year veteran shouldn't have come, like simple comebacks. Forgot to tighten a lug stud or, you know, forgot to, you know, didn't change the spark plugs that was on the ticket, those sort of things. And, and that kind of stuff is happening. And I guess in my soapbox for, for this episode is that as technicians, we have to put some pride back into our industry. 
We have to hold ourselves and other technicians accountable to our pay grades. Like I said, if you're an A-Tech and you earn like an A-Tech, you should probably know like an A-Tech. Your knowledge base should be of an A-Tech's. I mean, from what you guys are saying, on one hand, you know, we we have this, you know, group of, of technicians who have been able to really level up their pay just due to the situation. In the short term, they're getting paid much better. Their lives are better. You know, this looks great. Um, the shops have people now that can crank out work. So currently, you know, it doesn't look like a disaster. What though is the long term effect of this? I think the long term effect of this is is that we are going to see more and more repairs that can't be done in shops. I think that we're going to see more and more cars go get off, you know, be taken off the road because we can't fix them. I think that we're going to see level of craftsmanship go down. And we were talking about um, earlier, you know, Phil had brought up a good point. This may have been earlier before we started the episode. Phil and I have been talking all morning, you know, um, but it's almost like they there's this theme now. Um, where it's like instant gratification education, right? It's almost like the fast food education. YouTube, YouTube, YouTube is the yeah. yeah the flagship of that. Uh-huh. YouTube, you yeah. For the for the <laughs> longest time, my Facebook profile page was uh, it said YouTube certified, looked like an ASC pin, right? Yeah, yeah, and and you know that's that's getting us into a lot of trouble. I mean, as a foreman, Phil, let me just ask you, like. Where do you see, like, uh, where has that gotten you into trouble with your technicians? Oh, it's the, it's, it's the pathway other than covering the basics. It's the, it's, it's the other than the first steps. It's what people go to. Um, yeah, it, it's difficult because when people come to me for help, I want to know, where are you at? What have you done? Tell me what you got. And I want to know that you have covered some basics, that you have a fundamental understanding of what you're dealing with as far as understanding the customer's concern, having duplicated it or not, things like that. If there's fault codes involved, you know what they are, you understand the fault codes. But so many people, because of ease of access, skip ahead way, way far ahead, way beyond where they need to be. And they they don't know what help they need. They, but I mean, a lot of it, a lot of it's just a natural consequence of wanting to be efficient. And again, flat rate comes into play. Time is money. You've got to you're looking for multipliers of time because that's multipliers of pay, and that's the name of the game in flat rate. So they're looking for a a concentrated uh, form of information, not the long form, the short form. And if you've got some some random person giving you all the easy answers on YouTube, uh, that's pretty tempting. And, but it, it's a really, it's not a lasting investment for people. It's a, it's a quick fix that might help you on that particular situation on that particular car, or you think that it did, but then Whenever that problem arises next time or the next car comes in, you're always, you're hooked on that quick fix. You don't really gain the, the foundation of understanding that 
that you can take with you. And that's what I think is hard to to really get across to people to value that, that if you if you make the commitment, take the time to apply yourself and understand the whys and the the real the systems that's going to really truly apply to the next car. You're not going to have to the the amount of research and education that you're going to have to spend your time on in the future is going to is going to diminish because you're going to take that with you because you're you're really gaining that true applicable knowledge rather than that just the quick fix of what do I need to do on this one particular car, if that makes sense. It's it's a different kind of information that's it's but it's definitely appealing. Um, and I try to tell people too, like this is like Identifix. That Identifix is one of those um, I don't know things that people usually it's kind of polarizing. People usually say it as a as a um, like a bad word, you know, like you're not a, a good tech or a true tech if you're looking at Identifix. But there's other people that that think it's valuable. But there's not to get off on a rabbit trail with that, but um, it's sort of the same the same thing where people are looking for something that's applicable in the moment um, because they're not going to school or at their job. That's how they see it as a, as a job to make money. But I think that those two don't need to be that separate. There doesn't need to be so much of a disparity between the education and the the career, it needs to sort of be integrated into one from a technician's perspective that um, there's a a right way to learn that's lasting that will that'll help you next time the car comes in. Um, I I agree. I mean, if you have a solid knowledge base, you know, of, of most systems on a vehicle, you can use things like YouTube or Identifix objectively. You know, you can you can use logic and reason to kind of think through is what this person presenting to me as a possible th- fix. Can I test it? Can it, you know, as opposed to not knowing the basics. And I've talked about this uh, many times that the B level technicians that we we tested um, when we started TechFix in beta, eighty uh, percent of them uh, failed the initial test, and it wasn't a very hard test. And we found that they didn't fail because they couldn't understand higher level concepts. Was, they failed because they didn't have the basics. So if you don't have the basics, when you step up to that keyboard and you're on Identifix and you type in, you know, 14 escape, uh, EVAP leak, you know, you're, you're just gambling and you're gambling with your customer's money and sometimes their safety and you're gambling with your reputation and the quality of work and the relationship you have with your service, service advisor, all of those things. So that's I and I agree with you. I think that's that that needs to be the objective in in training and moving forward in our industry is how do we make this complete package? I don't think two year school is an option anymore. I mean, I think it's you know it's a pretty uh, special case if, if you can send yourself through a school where you don't work, where you sit in the classroom two hours a day, go to the workshop or, or the shop for six hours a day. Th- those things aren't available to most people anymore. We have to train on the job. So how do we do that? And that's one of the, the biggest uh, struggles we've had in developing this training program that, that I've been working on is that, you know, how do we package uh, a practical education while somebody's working on the job with basics that they will pick up? Because anytime you ask a technician, 
what kind of training do you want? It's always, we want higher level training. And then I, I don't mean to smirk but or, or laugh, but after I, I've tested so many technicians, it's like, okay, we got to figure out how to package it. And this was what Phil and I were actually, we've been talking about, um, and Eric Walker and I have been talking about a lot as well, is that how do we package this so that we can bring the basics back? So it, it, it's not that hard. I mean, the, the, these concepts aren't hard. It's just that like, Phil said, and I think he brings up a really good point. They're in a hurry. It's not like technicians are are lazy, or you know, they're you know, they're, there's there's a lot of intelligent people who work in the shop. Um, I know because I, I I've worked back there almost my whole life, and I can say this is when you're on flat rate, you are looking for cutting corners, and hopefully, you're looking for cutting corners safely, and hopefully, you're looking to to do your job properly. What you guys are saying brings up for me, uh, and I, I think you and I, Lowell, have had a similar conversation. I know that Joe Stokes and I have had similar conversation. In fact, I think it was on one of our episodes we had. Uh, and, and that's, you know, really that I'm going to play devil's advocate. There's a lot of people, especially, you know, dealership mindset that would say that, you know, it's actually more effective for us to have more of a hive mindset where we have experts, we have something like Identifix, the dealerships have their own internal systems, we have engineers that we can call on, and and you know, our technicians are are you know really just following those guidelines and those statistics, and we're using science and we're using, you know, math and probabilities and all this stuff to create a better, you know, better experience for for the car. Um and so there are folks that that believe that's the future. What you guys are talking about, and, and I think what we all you know believe on on this podcast, and, and I, I'm assuming most listening, is that that is probably setting up the technician role to become a really dumbed down position where that high level of skill isn't needed. So, you know. Talk us through that a little bit more. What does that look like long-term if that mindset continues? Did you know that some web design companies use the same wording across all their client sites? Unfortunately, this common practice is noted by Google as plagiarism, which will cause your site to be ranked lower. That's why it's critical that whoever makes your shop's website knows better. That's why so many top shops trust Leads Near Me to create and manage their shop's websites. As Google certified partners, they know how to make a top ranking website from an insider's perspective. Get a free site analysis by visiting leadsnearme.com or calling 888-953-2379. Leads Near Me, effortlessly increase car count. What's interesting that you bring that up. Um, I've had several conversations with uh, manufacturer level trainers. Um, um, specifically, European manufacturers are getting away from that hive mind, that that mindset. Look, they're, they're getting away from it and, and it, it, because it's not working. Because you are having a, a dumbed down level of technician who's out on the floor, who's dealing now with a really sophisticated piece of equipment that is sometimes north of $100,000. We need to have people in the shop. You cannot automate education. You just can't. You have to have people who have practical understanding of how these systems work, or else we're going to be in really big trouble. Now, GM has been talking about this diagnostician program for a long time, and they've tried to implement it. It's this this like white lab coat person 
with a scanner and a clipboard walking around, you know, just pointing at cars and saying, well, fix this, fix that. Now, to some degree, we we run models like that uh, in our shops. Like if, if you're using a discovery program, because you're inspecting all the cars, selling the work, and then bringing your other technicians up by training them. Now, it hasn't worked for GM, and it hasn't worked for a lot of the European manufacturers. And they're starting to step away from that. So when you talk about that, and we, we look at that as the future of our industry, you know, from where I'm, who I, the people I'm talking to, and the technicians I'm talking to, you know, across the board that I have access to, that's just simply not the case. It's not working. We have to develop better training. I think too that there is a a, a big fundamental difference between a dealer setting and an independent setting as far as training and repair information and the type of day to day role a technician has as far as in a the way that a certain like a dealership environment is engineered to reduce the number of judgment calls that an individual has to make and to increase efficiency and eliminate errors, um, which is great. I mean, that structure is great and it produces in a lot of cases well-trained people, but you've got to be a lot more, you have to make those judgment calls. You, you, you're not going to be insulated from that um, the risk of having to f- to call it and figure it out and get to the bottom of it. And there's not always a uh, tech line or engineer or some next step or some somewhere else to go to pass it off to. You've got to get to the bottom of it. You've got to be resourceful and know where to go to get information. And yeah, and speaking too to the, to the information, like what I was talking about that identifics in YouTube, I think a lot of people also don't consider... The, the validity of sources, they lose sight that this person may not be a person to be taking advice from, that just because it's it sounds presentable or it sounds like it may be the answer you're looking for or it's applicable or it this YouTube video looks well put together, this person may not be competent. He may not be somebody or she, whomever, may not be somebody to take advice from. And that's where I'm not trying to discount these resources and, and say that they're not valuable, but you have to have that baseline of knowledge to be able to decide for yourself if this is valuable information or not. And that's where I see people get tripped up a lot is because there's a there's a time and a place to to introduce these certain, you know, easy resources. Uh, but you've got to have it's just like, you know, a forum is another one. People go to forums and I've found a lot of great information in forums. I found great information on YouTube and Identifix, but you've got to be able to be the judge. You've got to have the education and the knowledge yourself to be the judge of what is good and what is not. Even when I tell people, people come to me constantly for advice and guidance. And, you know, I have to remind people to to verify it on their own because even though you know, I feel like what I'm giving is good guidance or advice. I may not have the whole story. So I am always reminding and encouraging people, you've got to validate this yourself. Make sure what I'm telling you is correct. Just like this random person that, that uh, made an article on Identifix or whatever, or YouTube, you've got to validate that for yourself because when you sell a repair on a customer's vehicle and it goes south, and, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to the bottom of it. That's my responsibility. And I come to you and, you know, what did you do? Why did you do it? And your answer is because 
this random person on YouTube told me to, that's not, that's not okay. That's not enough. Whereas there are valid sources. And if you can show me that you repaired factory repair, you followed factory repair instructions, you know, there's, there are valid uh, paths and valid information and, but it's not black or white. There are varying degrees. And a lot of that's difficult to, to navigate, which is why technicians need to have this training, this in-depth training so that they understand these systems and they can make these judgment calls and they can do the right thing with all these different resources that technicians and independent shops have to have access to and have to become experts at the the most capable and efficient technicians that that I know are always experts with resources. They know where to go and they're just very a lot of times creative with finding information and they're, they're just, they're experts at that. Um, and also they, they develop a good judgment of uh, vetting and uh, identifying good information and bad information. So there's a lot to it. I, I think like he was saying, like valuing technicians and being an advocate for technicians, I'm always really careful to not lose perspective of that because it's relative when you're around technicians all the time. Um, and it's easy to take for granted that this is a very, very extremely difficult job. And to succeed as a technician, as a flat rate technician in an independent shop, I mean, requires that you be a very high performer. You know, so I, Anthony Bourdain says this, I believe in, in his oh, book, like Kitchen Confidential. It's a great um, book. It's a great book. And he says this about chefs, and I think it's true about technicians. And you were saying about forgetting or, or sometimes taking for granted how difficult of a job it is. Yeah. Now, he says, like, there are two types of people in the world. There are the type of people, like, that really like a hot kitchen, who really like it cranked up, who really like to be busy, who really like, who really like to, to, like, just be running around with their hair on fire, live in that pressure cooker, and they love it. And then there's the rest of the world. Yeah. And I think to be a flat rate technician, it takes some of the same grit. Like you have to love what you do and be in it every moment, every day. And just like the, for me as a technician, that was that was it. It was like the thrill of that adrenaline. Like I flagged 60 hours this week. You know, like I got in there, I fixed a lot of cars. You know, it's it, like it's something to be proud of. Go home and, and enjoy your life. And I, I think that he struck a nerve there, and I think that you strike a nerve as well, because we have to not take that away from technicians. It's a very hard job, you know. But at the same time, we have to be able to blend this sort of education. We have to be able to take this in a different direction. This makes me think of where passion comes into play, because I think that having a passion, however, or whenever it was developed. And for a lot of people, it was, you know, when you were young and you started working on cars and there was this spark and you got interested and it developed that passion. And when I'm interviewing people, especially people that um, maybe aren't a technician, but they're a GS, they want to become a technician. I'm interested in whether or not you have that passion and I want to hear about it and where it came from, because I think that it is going to be a necessary fuel and motivation to carry you through and to keep you on track in this career because I have I've also had those people that you know they were interested in it and they thought they wanted to work on cars cuz it seemed cool they liked the idea of it they thought it was 
maybe they knew people or they were exposed to the industry enough that it seemed glamorous to them and they want to be a tech. So they get into it, but then they realize that, man, this is hard. And like, I thought I wanted to work on cars, but you know, all, all I'm doing is break jobs and oil changes. This sucks. When do I get to work on cars? Like Uh that was an actual experience I had with a GS and, and you know, this person was, it was something that they had began taking on as their identity because it's just what they wanted to do. It's what they told everybody. I'm going to be a technician. I'm going to be, I'm going to be a mechanic, work on cars. So I was like, all right, let's, let's do, let's do this. You know, you show me that you're, you know, go through the whole process. Show me that you're responsible, accountable, show up to work, yeah. whatever. And we're going to start letting you, you know, give you that drip of, of working on cars and exposure to it. And that's what it was is, you know, I don't, I don't want to do grunt work. I want to work on cars, but it's, right. man, you don't understand this. This is working on cars. It's yeah. hard. It's very difficult. It's, there's, it's very, very demanding. It's stressful. It's physically extremely demanding. So I think that's talking about passion. I think that in a lot of cases, people that reach high levels of success, not always, but in this industry, they've got that. That is a motivation that, you know, they're interested. And it changes, of course. You know, I had that. I've got that passion about cars, but it's different now. Once you've been in it for a while, it, it sort of changes, but... And it kind of speaks to people's experience with the industry and its difficulty, and it's it's a lot to keep up with. But that's that helps, I think, being passionate. Being about passionate, it. sure. And you know, most technicians that I talk to, we we all have you know somewhat similar origin stories. You know, for me, I didn't feel like I accomplished anything in life until I built my first engine. Like I didn't I didn't even know that you could feel like that. You know, like built my first engine. Of course, it blew smoke like crazy, took it back out, rebuilt it, and it ran great. And like from then on, it was like, you know, I was a, I was a tougher teenager. You know, I was just a cooler kid. Like I was like, I had more confidence. Like I, I can do things other people can't. And I, I think that, you know, that, that's probably part of the problem, right? Like, you know, as technicians, like we have these experiences and we internalize them and, and then it kind of makes us, you're a rugged individual who, you know, like, like there's some unique personalities in the shop. Like oh, yeah. you work with some characters. Oh, I know yeah. you do. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, now we're like treading into territories like, okay, so we're technicians and educators and trainers. And now we have to be psychologists, right? And now we have to build culture and community at the same time in our shops. It's like when you asked the question at the first part of this episode, it's like, it's a challenging, it's a very challenging question. Like what? What do we do here? How do we move forward? Well, there's a lot, lot to consider. You know, one of the things that um, I'm just going to bring up that that we did uh, in our work at TechFix is that um, in this training development is just sitting here, the three of us talking about this. I realize, you know, a thought comes to me like, okay, well, we understand this, but who are we to dictate like what what's going to happen next or or how this should look? You know. Is this Lowell's soapbox that, that, you know, like, who's this guy? So I wanted to put together some legitimate panel behind what the driving force is or what our technicians are going to look like in the future. What education do they need now? What experience they should have at what level? So we put together, and Phil's a part of it, we put together uh, what we call the Tech Fix Think Tank. This is 12 technicians from around the country who are top tier 
in, in what they do. Now, we have uh, technicians who are master level technicians. We have technicians who are foremen who are excellent, you know, at, you know, just the basics like steering suspension alignment. They do a lot of speed work in their shop. Um, so we're bringing these people together to help us dictate or help us predict what the future looks like. So we're trying to solve it in this way that it's a group of people. What, you know, like I said, technicians for technicians by technicians. So that's part of it. We're, and we have these conversations that we're having today with you um, quite a bit. Like, how, how should this look? How should an A tech, what, what should their tools look like? What should their experience look like? What should their knowledge look like? Should they, you know, are they a leader in their shop? So on and so forth. So we're we're trying to build this out, you know, from a fresh perspective. I, I have a thought about, you know, I was talking about how people get into this industry and you were talking about, you know, you first built an engine and how it was smoking. Mm-hmm. And I think that in my experience is similar as far as people start working on vehicles and repairing them and just trying it out before they're, I don't know, competence, kind of a harsh word, but before you're educated, like nobody, nobody got into this industry. Very few people got attracted to or interested in working on cars and being a technician. Like that experience usually isn't led by the education. It's not because they went to a technical training course and they just loved training. Like they, they love working on cars. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of why, you know, we would talk about technician engagement with training and it's something I've been thinking about a lot and talking to people about a lot. And it's just not something that people naturally seem to gravitate towards. But I think that maybe part of that's because of the experience of how you get into this to begin with that passion. Like you want to work on cars and that's the path that you take. And that's how you gain your knowledge and your experience and your competence primarily is through being under the hood of a car and figuring it out. And so I think there needs to be a little bit of a shift and in, in, in an emphasis on the value of actual training. And I think that you plateau after a certain point where there's obviously a value to on-the-job training and figuring it out and getting that experience, but it, it plateaus after a while. And if you, if you really want to get to the next level and increase your value and you know go beyond that point, it, you've got to change your strategy a little bit and shift your focus more towards training. And I think that wraps back around to the conversation about being accountable to your pay grade. Because sooner or later, you're going to get found out. Yeah. You walk in asking for 45 bucks an hour. Sooner or later, you're going to get found out. They're going to start to realize that your comebacks and your the, the lack of ability and skills is costing them money. Yeah, it's, you, were saying, be a problem. you were saying too that uh, you know people with ATEC pay should be should not have comebacks and should, you know, should do this like an ATEC, should do that like an ATEC. And I was thinking they should train like an ATEC. They should train like an ATEC. Yeah. And look, everybody has comebacks. It, it happens. Yeah. Know? There's, it's so complex. You're, it, if you tell me that you've been in this business for, you know, five years and you've never had a comeback, I don't, <laughs> I don't you think haven't you're been working on cars. I think you're a liar. <laughs> if nothing's ever been wrong, you're, you're not yeah. working on cars. You're sweeping. Yeah. Yeah. You guys have really broken down. Uh, to a level of detail that that I think most aren't aware of, of why we're in the position we're in, what the current state is of being a technician, the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, and, and really, we've touched on what the future looks like, but but it really sounds like, you know, if an ATEC's listening, they understand the, the value of knowledge. They understand that actually knowing how a system works is different than 
watching a video. And and yeah, I mean, this is a very apprentice-heavy role, um, but without the theory like you were talking about, Phil, uh, there are gaps that, you know, because you don't know what you don't know is, is going to get you in trouble. And then we have the problem of now, just because of the way the economy is, we have all these people whose pay just continue to increase. And I think psychologically, when your pay increases, you think, oh, I am worth this amount. And then you get cocky. And, oh. and this isn't just a tech thing. This is anybody. Uh, and then you're like, oh, well, I've arrived. I don't need to continue to work. I am now where I need to be. Uh, and it really, and, and I, you know, I personally know technicians, you know, that I'm very close to. Um, and, and I've seen that in some of them too. And it's very scary because, you know, outside looking in, you're like, like you said, Lowell, there's, there's a point where, you know, that gap is going to get seen. And maybe when the economy does change and we have more labor uh, available, then, you know, they're going to be the first ones that aren't going to be there. Uh, the tech industry uh, did something similar during COVID. They hired anybody and everybody and paid them crap tons of money just to steal them from their competitors. And it's not the same as auto because their their labor pool, you know, it, it now is much bigger. But they're letting go of those people now that it's bigger. And so, you know, my passion for, and I know this is all of our passions for for technicians listening, is this is not just a matter of you being able to fix a car better. And, and there's there's all these other factors, but it is for the sake of your future and your family's future, you dedicating yourself to leveling up your skill, not just doing it and learning from watching somebody, but actually understanding the systems and theories is going to secure your spot in this industry. And it's super interesting, Lowell, that you were talking about that now these manufacturers who are doing this kind of YouTube university in their own ecosystem are now saying, hey, that doesn't work. That shift is a big deal because now there will not be a place for anyone who is in this in that mindset to really have a great career. I would love it. If you're an ATEC listening, you know all this. You're like, yeah, you know, for the guys that that maybe are having that revelation in this conversation, or maybe it's been in the back of their head of, man, you know, am I really, am I really able to do this? And no one wants to admit that, you know, they're they're not skilled as much as they think they are. For those listening that are in that middle ground, I want you to paint a picture of what could life look like if they dedicate themselves. And and on the surface, it's like, oh, you're gonna get paid more, but you guys have been in the industry for a long time. You've seen technicians that have done well and ones that flopped. What is life like for someone that dedicates themselves like that? I mean, it's interesting that you you asked that question because that's one of the things that, again, you know, I, I talk about this training program because I'm very immersed in this conversation right now. And one of the things that we realized that was lacking in training is that when you go to a conference where there's a higher level training, those programs are really good. Now, you can sit through an eight-hour class and you can really learn about CAN bus theory and, and operation diagnostics. Those are great. But to answer your question, what we're trying to do is develop a program that not only is technical training, but also teaches technicians how to be better leaders, how to improve themselves, how to organize themselves, how to make a good life out of being an automotive technician. So 
as a B-level technician or medium-level technician, your life could look... It's hard to say like, yeah, you're, you're going to have the best life ever, but it's a rewarding life. It's a life that you can really be proud of, take care of your family very well. I made a lot of money working on cars. You know, I, I used to think like when I worked in a Asian domestic in, in Austin, um, Texas, and I had this one guy, he would always say, hey, man, and I've heard old, I stole this from old timers, right? He'd say, oh, man, I hate working on Fords. And I'd be like, why? I love working on Fords. Ford bought my house, right? Like just having that kind of attitude, like being able to overcome objections, being able to do that on your daily life, being able to fix, find and fix problems is so rewarding. Um, now, like, let's say, you know, I, I don't work in a shop anymore. I do, I do often do a lot of work, uh, especially when we're filming videos and stuff like that. But I will say this now at, you know, 50 some years old, as a technician, if I have troubles in life, you know, like I'm dealing with something big, you know, something that's beyond the scope of my daily life. And I just go into my shop and I start working on something and I figure something out and I repair it. I don't know if it's a confidence boost that it gives me to get me through the problems or the issues that I'm working on that, you know, with my family or in, in, in life in general. I cannot, I've done other things briefly, but I cannot say that I've done anything that's been as rewarding as being an automotive technician. So I think that there is a, something that you learn as you progress as a technician. You, you mentioned something that made me think of it, like the, the idea or the thought of arriving at a certain place or reaching a certain point. And I think that early on in this career, people work with and see and interact with people that are more experienced. Like let's say you're a GS and you're looking at A text and B text, C text, whatever. Um, or you, you know, you just became a flat rate tech as a GS. Like you just made that transition. Now you're working on cars and you're you look at these other guys that are that have been in the industry for 10 years that are killing it, you know, and you have a certain perspective of that. You feel like they've arrived, like they made it there. And like, it's a, like it's a place or a point in time or a shelf where you can put something. And I used to kind of feel that way too. And it's, and it's easy, even no matter where you are in life, there's always somebody that's doing more that has more, whatever. And it's easy to have that perspective that that person has arrived at the place that you want to be. But I think that an important shift in perspective is that it's not, there's never really a place that you arrive at. It's more about understanding that it's uh, it's just about growth, that you always need to be growing and learning. And I, I try to warn people early on that they get into this career that you're going to have this idea that these other people that you work with that are around you that are more experienced have, have sort of gotten over this hump or reached this place. And I, I warn them that it's, you know, you need to get used to always not knowing things and always being challenged and always being uncomfortable because that's that's the key to learning and being better and being successful because the industry is always changing. There's always, every day there's going to be something that comes in that, that you don't know how to fix or a problem that you've never seen before. So 
I think that this also leads to burnout and fatigue when people like set their sights on that place. Like I'm going to arrive at that place and they misunderstand and misinterpret these other people around them because they have more skills, they have more experience, they go to them for help. Like, man, this guy seems to always have the answer. He's, he's, got, he's got it all figured out. Uh, he's there. And so they expect as the years pass that they're going to they're gonna reach that point. They're going to get there and that, that like all the stresses and the weight's just going to be relieved. And I've seen people go through this and it's just, it's kind of a disappointment as the years lag on that they never really get that sense of satisfaction that they expected of arriving at that point. Um, but I think that's an important turning point or lesson for people to understand that there's there's no finish line. Like you're on a trajectory and you need to get really accustomed to learning and education. And like I said, the on the job, figuring it out as you figuring it out as you go and asking the dude next to you, it only carries you so far. And you've got to become a student and a scholar of this field and these vehicles and these principles and these physics and the tools. And you've just got to, you got to become comfortable, not comfortable because, you know, you shouldn't be comfortable, but get used to being uncomfortable and settle in for the long haul uh, because it's, you're going to get left behind. Ultimately, you've got to, and that's, that goes for, I think that's a lesson for your personal life too, that I think that once you get to, once I sort of gotten a certain, uh, I don't know, came to a certain understanding about growth that I see that the people that are at a certain level that I used to see as having arrived, that's not how they view it. They're, they are aggressively pushing themselves to be better, to learn more, um, and to get out of their comfort zone. So again, I just think it's a shift of perspective that happens that I try to prepare people for. I think taking this a step further, and, and this is coming up from conversations I've had with technicians in the past, um, and, and especially shop owners that end up opening shops. Uh, if we take this idea uh, down the line, in an, as someone, as a technician, you know, grows in age, this is a very hard role on one's body. People wear out real quick. They age real fast. Their bodies give out. Um, you know, to the point where it is very difficult to work. And I hear. You know, 40s and 50s is really where kind of you're starting to max out. What I am, I think another thing that we need to talk about is the importance of you learning these skills and this knowledge and the theory and, and really having a firm education is not just during your initial career, but it also is going to provide you opportunities when you are not wanting to turn a wrench anymore. And I know, Lowell, you are finding people who you know, have that knowledge base that are available. And it's really that intersection of opportunity and preparedness mm-hmm. where, hey, yeah, let's do this. And now you have a fresh new part of your journey that you can take because you were diligent in your early years. Can we talk that out a little bit and what that path could look like for a technician that's starting to get to that point? Well, I think we need to take it to a larger conversation, uh, not just about the technician, um, about the industry. And and this is what I mean. So when I came on uh, as a young technician 30-some years ago, 
um, we had a lot of older technicians who had apprentices. And we don't have that anymore. It's very rare when you see an older technician um, in a dealership who has a few technicians working under him or her. So, um, for example, I worked at uh, Acura, and this was in the early 90s. And uh, there was a, a, a Nissan, it was Acura Nissan dealer. And there was a Nissan dealer, and I'm not going to say his name. I don't, I'm not sure he's still with us, but really awesome guy. Um, it had some health issues and was just one of the smartest technicians I've ever known. You know, could have a, a clutch out of a, a, a Sentra in about a half an hour, you know, because he knew all the all the tricks. He had two uh, two gentlemen working for him, and these guys were sharp, and he was teaching them everything, and they were going through training. the The problem was was that he was getting paid on their hours. And management and owners decided that that's not fair. But what they really were doing was shooting themselves in the foot. You're not paying him for their hours. You're paying him for his knowledge. They're just pro- you're just providing his wages on what they bill. And I think that we need to reflect on that as an industry. And I think that that's something that we need to start talking about again. Because, again, going back to the testing that we did, we tested all those BTECs. 80% of them failed. We tested 20 master techs. 19 in the past. And most of those master techs look like me, mid 40s to mid 50s, right? So, how do we? Well, that's one way we bridge the gap is we start putting young technicians next to these older technicians and teaching them, putting, installing real training programs, and then allowing them to collect on the younger people's, on the younger technicians, build hours. You're going to grow technicians. And that's the way that looks. I don't, I don't know that we have any other options other than, you know, ongoing training. But to help close this gap, I think that's a major component. No, that, that's, that's another angle that I think is really important for us to bring up as well. It's not just, you know, the technician investing in that time themselves, but it's also the owner recognizing when someone has that knowledge and how that person can best be fulfilled in the business. And I think as we talk about labor shortages, I think it's very easy for an owner to say, no, 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 I just need this guy to turn wrenches. When actually the most efficient thing in his shop, the most beneficial thing that will give him the most benefit long-term and give the technician and, and that master technician the most fulfillment in their goals is to recognize that we need to bring back true apprenticeship. Yeah. By the way, most European countries run their technician training programs just like this. The skilled trades, that's how it's been for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. So why is it different now? Shouldn't be. I think in general, there is a lack of attention and focus on a path of growth for people. As leaders, I think it's, it's easy to forget about your, your team and just, uh, I think that's important that we as leaders and being responsible for our team that we develop that path of growth, whether it be apprenticeship, whether it be whatever, that we're just aware and that we acknowledge that it does need to happen and we provide that for people. I think that that's essential for retention and it's also good for recruiting. If you can articulate that you 
that you do have and develop paths of growth paths of growth for your employees and at all levels because everybody needs to be growing. It's not, you know, growth is not something that's reserved for only some people. It needs to be part of the culture as well. I think that's really important. So let's talk for a second to the technician who is working in a shop that doesn't recognize that. And owners, if you're listening, you know, these things are critical for your shop being successful. But let, let's let's talk just to the technician for a second. If your shop does not recognize the value of training, uh, you feel like you're just kind of thrown to the wolves or you don't see career advancement, what should that person do? Like lay out a path for them to be able to level themselves up without that guidance from someone else. I think that uh, seeking out successful people, surrounding yourself with those people, asking them questions, being humble, being open to um, advice and guidance and being willing to try it. A lot of people too ask, I deal with this often, what should I do? And then I don't know, which I mean, I know you shouldn't take all advice just blindly, but that's that's part of it is that um, there's a thing I heard recently. I don't know how much it applies to this, but I keep thinking of it. it show me your friends. I'll show you your future. Surround yourself with people that are in the direction that you want to go. If you're around other more successful technicians or other leaders, ask and make your desire known that you want to grow. And um, yeah, there's a lot of resources out there and a lot of really, uh, a lot of people that are really willing to help if you ask, but a lot of times they don't know that you need help, that you want help. Um, I mean, that's what I would say is you seek out those people in your community, um, even your extended community for help. And uh, I've received I mean, immense help from other people, incredible help from other people with, with you know, career growth and personal growth. I think that's a good point. Um, also, if you're working in a shop that doesn't have a training program for you, I, I'd say speak up, you know, um, you know, politely, like uh, speak up and, and be honest and, and objective about it, you know, about where you are and what kind of training that you you need. Um, in most shops, if they're going to want to invest in you and invest in their shop, they're going to listen. They're going to want to put some sort of training together for you. Look, as a shop owner, and I've been on that side too, you don't, hey, nobody wants technicians who are slow or inaccurate or they, you know, they have bad, poor diagnostic skills and they have a lot of comebacks. That's just not helpful for anybody, man. That just makes things miserable until the end. So that being said, I, I think, you know, what Phil said, surround yourself by good people. Be honest about what you need and and speak up about it. Yeah, and other people around you may have the same needs. You know, your other technicians, if you're not receiving the training or the guidance, the assistance you need, it's probably not just you, it's probably the other people. So, you know... Like he said, everybody all the way up the chain, foremen, owners, managers, everybody everybody wants you to be more efficient, more productive, and to succeed because if the technician's not succeeding, the, the whole company, you know what I mean? It, it requires that for the success of the whole company. So yeah, you just got to be vocal about it. And um, in a lot of ways, you know what kind of help or what kind of training you need the best because you know 
where your deficiencies are. So yeah, I mean, you've got to speak up about it. This is, it's necessary to, um, training is necessary to grow and succeed in this career, in any career. So if you're not being provided it, you need to seek it out. And if you're in a place that will not give it to you, then maybe it's time to find a different place that will. Because you're going to be very limited by that. Shots fired. Dang. (laughs) I mean, I try to hold myself to that level of accountability that if I'm not going to provide my technicians and my people the, the leadership and the the training and the access to information that they require, somebody else is going to. So that's a fact. Can we put this in perspective? What I I think we talk about this here, but on average, what does your shop do per month in revenue? Uh, which one? Well, yeah, and any any of them. The one that you work in the most. Um, average. Maybe 300. Okay. That's a lot. Yeah. I mean, what's the most you guys do out of there? I don't remember what the monthly record is. Okay. Not that it all boils down to money, but when we're having this conversation, you know, and we're saying that you're saying these things that you're providing for your people and they expect it from you, you feel a responsibility towards providing it towards them and for them. And you see a direct result. And how your daily life is, the kind of problems you're solving, the more training that they're getting, and the better productivity that your shop is able to do. My point is, is that that's the level that you have to work on in an independent repair shop, whether you're the manager, the owner, or the foreman. You have to expect that you have to support, implement, and support this kind of training and ongoing and being honest with your technicians, evaluating them. And you and I talk about this a lot, Phil, evaluating your technicians building a correction and training program for them uh, almost constantly. And that's what it's going to take. Yeah, and it's not going to be perfect at first, but I think at least to just start the conversation and start trying to figure it out and chip away at it. Um, There's a lot of great resources out there for training. Um. Great ones that are free, great ones that you pay for. I mean, something is better than nothing, but it's just important to get the ball rolling and start making that part of your routine and part of your culture and bringing everybody's focus on on that, on training and education. Um, I'm not where I want to be with it. Uh, we, we've got a long way to go in bringing it to the forefront and making it uh, higher priority, and I'm trying to figure that out. I don't have it figured out, but I'm trying to. I'm working on it. I know it's important. Um, I need to, and I, I think too. Again, this is not training and education and growth is not just something for a certain segment of employees. It's for everybody, and I think that that's important. Is and also, it's it's difficult and in sometimes in in some cases impossible to separate the the personal and professional aspect of it so this is something that it you know growth in your personal life is in a lot of ways inseparable from growth in your professional life so i think it's important to as a leader in a shop to set an example and do training yourself you know and to to demonstrate that it is for everybody and that it is important because it's hard to ask other people to do things and then not 
do it yourself. It's not not as effective, I think, as a leader to. You know what I mean? It's it, it goes a long way to be in the trenches with your people and show them that you value what you expect out of them. To to truly show that by by demonstrating it. So, um, yeah, you got to walk the walk. Yeah, and some training is, you know, some types of training is. Uh, appropriate for everybody. And then some people need individually tailored training. There's some kind of training that I don't need this guy doing that I do need this guy doing. And there's some kinds of training that everybody needs to be doing. So yeah. And again, I, I don't have it all figured out. Uh, but just, I think it's important again, in the spirit of not expecting to arrive somewhere, but to be on that path and to be on that trajectory, you've got to start somewhere and you've got to start making it a conversation and make it a part of your your shop culture and part of the everyday. Weave, weave that in. It takes time. Well, guys, this has been an amazing conversation. Uh, technicians listening, this was for you. Our heart is that through this show, through this episode, and, and really all the episodes, that we're able to help change our industry. We're able to improve the lives of everyone involved in the shop, the owners, the technicians, the advisors, the GS, the parts person, you know, whatever role you're in. And so much of what we talked about really applies to every role. But right now, I think the focus does need to be on the technician. That is the role that seems to be most complicated right now, when in reality, it should be the role that is the most celebrated in the shop because, you know, that highly skilled trade that our technicians are in, that we are in, um, is the backbone for how most of our country operates. If we did not have technicians, most of the things that we enjoy would not happen because you got to have a vehicle to do it. So if you're listening and you're an owner and, and you want to bring this level of training to your team, um, there's a lot of resources, you know, and, and Phil, you said there's free ones, there's paid ones. Um, Lowell, I, I can just speak from experience. I know yours is amazing. Um, it's very affordable. It's something that I think every shop has the capacity to be able to do. And it's such a great turnkey solution because the owner doesn't have to do it. They give that to their team. It's something that they can continue to you know, work in their normal role as a technician. They're not taking time off work and it is going to help level them up. So if people are interested in that, I know you have some events coming up. I know you are opening enrollment right now. Where can they find information? Sure. Uh, info at techfix.training is where you want to go. We do have a live in-person training here in Nashville, October 5th and 6th. Uh, we have quite a few trainers coming in. Again, technicians, for technicians, by technicians. Uh, we have um, some classes. If if I could just take a moment and talk about that, we have um, we have classes on fuel trim, which is uh, it's going to be a, a not just a review for some of you uh, guys who are, are fairly adept in, in fuel trim diagnosis. It's a program that's going to help you trim the fat out of your diagnostics. Now we also have. Uh, EV class that we're going to teach. We have uh, misfire diagnostics. So there's going to be a lot of technical training there. The other half of this training is going to be exactly like what we were talking about earlier. We're incorporating uh, self, you know, self-improvement, 
time management improvement uh, classes. So when you come back from this as a technician, you're going to be invested in yourself and your team and your shop. You're going to work. Uh, you're going to work smarter, and you're going to be more productive. We guarantee it. Absolutely, and that event's in October, the fifth uh, and sixth. Yeah. Fifth and sixth. So uh, it's train. I'm sorry, techfix dot training. It's info at techfix dot training. Well, that's the email address. It's it's yeah. It, okay. So yeah, and techfix dot training. training dot com. No, it's just not training. Does anyone use the, the www? Oh my God, it's a lot to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, just yeah, techfix.training will get you there. Fantastic. And if you're listening to this after October, um, that website's all going to, that website will have all the latest stuff that's available for sure, information on enrollment, things yeah. like that. All right. Well, guys, thank you so much for your thank time. Thank you, Thomas. This yeah, was a, yeah, this was a ton of fun. And, uh, yeah, let's uh, let's have another conversation here in a bit and, and continue to talk out where things stand. Excellent. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, guys.